Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National Embarrassment for the Washington Post. Coming today with the Twitter mailbag pod. Haven't been able to do the pod recently because I've been running around the country uh, covering the NCAA tournament. Went to Dayton, Ohio. Watched my state Bonaventure Bonnies beat UCLA, which is pretty great. Then went to Boise, Idaho, covered the games our last weekend. Now I'm in Los Angeles covering the games here this weekend. But wanted to get a podcast out here before the weekend, give you something to listen to throughout your travels over the next couple days. And so I went to Twitter and got a bunch of really good questions about the draft, about the playoff picture, about tanking, uh, about some of the different rebuilding situations around the league. So let's just jump into it right now and get started. We'll start with the team that's maybe been the hottest team in the NBA over the last couple of months, the Utah Jazz. And I got asked, uh, Rudy Gobert makes a Jazz defensive rating eight points better than the second best team. The Rockets have a similarly high offensive rating. Is Rudy Gobert slash defense overall overlooked? I don't wouldn't say it's overlooked. What I would say is that for people, it's harder to quantify defense. Um, it, it's much easier to see, well, James Harden scoring 40 points and getting 12 assists than looking at... Rudy Gobert holding teams uh, shooting at the rim to 32% or whatever the number is. I mean, it's just a harder thing to quantify. And so I think throughout history, you've kind of seen people gravitate towards the players that do stuff on offense because, you know, scoring points at the end of the day is what leads to winning games. Um, But I I think it's hard to argue that Gobert is overrated um, or underrated, I should say, or overlooked. I mean, I think he's a guy that has is clearly the best defensive player in the league. And it's really just a matter of whether he winds up playing in enough games that's going to determine whether he winds up winning Defensive Player of the Year this year or not. Do the Bucks have enough talent on their current roster that they can just age into a contender? Their cap space situation lo- looking forward isn't looking great. It's a really interesting question. One of, I think, the more interesting questions facing the league right now is how good can this Milwaukee Bucks team be as currently constructed? Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the five best players in the league. He is incredible. But you look at the guys around him. Thon Maker has taken a step back this year. Jabari Parker obviously has torn his ACL twice. You have to wonder about his future development. Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe are nice pieces, but I don't know if they're guys that are going to really take another step forward at some point and you know be guys that you look at as as real supporting pieces on a championship contender. Um, you know Jabari feels like the swing piece there. Can he become a guy that can win? or can score you 20 to 25 points a game on a consistent basis and be the closer that team needs, which is probably the one area scoring in the last few minutes of the game that Giannis struggles in right now. Um, if he could provide that kind of uh, impact for them, I think that, yeah, you could look at them as a team that could age into that kind of a team. Uh, if he can't, it's probably going to be tough. And then then you start looking at the clock counting down to Giannis's free agency, uh, which is only three years away. Um, and all of a sudden things should get panicky real quick in Milwaukee. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. But I, to me, I think when you look at the Bucks, you know, it really is that Jabari, Jabari piece and whether he can develop into an all-star to go with Giannis that could be the key to really their entire future. How shocked would you be to see Philadelphia in the Easter Conference Finals? I think they'll be a tough out in the playoffs. I, I was talking to my friend PJ McCall last night. We're having drinks uh, here in L.A. He was here for work. And listen, I think that there is a path that the Sixers could get to the conference finals if everything breaks right. I, I think if Philly plays the Wizards or if Philly play a healthy Wizards team, I should say, with John Wallback, or if they play um, if they play Cleveland, I, I think in the first round, I think they're going to be in real trouble. Um, but you look at the setup right now, 
They, they're in the 4-5 matchup as we speak here Friday afternoon. They've won five in a row. Uh, they, they play Indiana in the first round, which I think is the team that all these teams should want to play. I, I don't know how Indiana has gotten to where they are this year. It's uh, been a terrific season for Victor Oladipo, a great job coaching by Nate McMillan, but I, I do not trust that team to win a playoff series. So if they could stay in that 4-5 with Indiana and then get Toronto in the second round, do I think they beat Toronto? No, but... Um, I, I do think that that would be an interesting series. And, I mean, look, really, when you look at what's going on right now with, with Kyrie Irving now being out for an indeterminate amount of time uh, with this knee surgery, I think which, what if you're a Sixers fan, what you really need to root for is getting to that three seed, having Indiana in the sixth seed, and then playing the winner of, a say, Miami or Milwaukee against Boston series in that second round. I mean, I think if you look at a series like that, um, you know, with Kyrie Irving hobbled, with Marcus Smart potentially not back, with them maybe not even making the second round of the playoffs, um, with all the injuries they have, I, I think that's the scenario where you really look at, look at it and go, "Hey, Philly could make a run to the conference finals." And if, I mean, if 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 the Sixers make the conference finals this year, uh, the the trust the process guys are going to be just out for uh, heads of everybody who ever doubted that whole setup. It would be it would be a pretty wild couple months and pretty fun to see. And look, that's. That's a young, up-and-coming team, two of the best young players in the league. Maybe Markel Fultz comes back here the last couple weeks of the season, gives them an extra boost, um, which would be fun to see. I mean, it it would be a really fun story, and I, I definitely wouldn't rule it out. I think, you know, Toronto and Cleveland, I think, are the favorites to make it to the conference finals, but at the way the, the playoffs setup is right now, they could easily play each other in the second round, and if that happens... You know, all bets are off as who that other team is because I don't think you can look at any of the teams, whether it's Boston or Philly or Washington or, you know, Indy, Miami, or Milwaukee. None of those teams are exactly you're going to look at and say that's a team that's got a, you know, a guarantee of getting that far. So I think it's going to be a really fun Eastern Conference playoffs, and I'm excited to see how everything shakes out. Who of the non-playoff Eastern Conference teams is most likely to be a conference title contender in three years? This is a tough question. Uh, these teams are not very good. I mean, I, I guess... Yeah, Charlotte, I think, is automatically out, and I think Brooklyn is too because they don't have enough long-term talent. Um, I guess Detroit maybe could get there uh, if they have the right piece swing in their direction. If they could get you know another guy somehow to go with uh, you know the, the 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 group they've got there with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson. If you know if Luke Kennard develops into a a much better player, Stanley Johnson takes a leap, or they 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 find you know some unsus you know guy that comes out of nowhere to give them an extra boost maybe they could be that team but I just can't really see that I would say probably the best bets are um Atlanta Chicago and New York I think Chicago is probably in first place in that race because they've got Lowry Markinen and Chris Dunn and Zach Levine already if they get lucky in the draft this year um and get you know a top three pick and get a Luka Doncic or a DeAndre Ayton or a Marvin Bagley to go with that crew um, they're going to have a lot of cap space the next couple of years. They could potentially get a guy either this summer or next summer. Um, so I think they're probably in the mix. The Knicks with Porzingis is the best player of all these teams. I would have picked them, uh, but him coming back from the ACL obviously is going to be a tricky situation. And, you know, we have to see what, um, you know, what he's going to look like coming back. We have to see how they do in the draft. They're probably going to be at the top of the draft the next couple of years. Maybe they get a couple of players and they look really good. Uh, and Atlanta too, Atlanta has three picks in this year's draft. They're clearly going the, the young player rebuild route. Um, and look, in a couple of years, if they have, you know, DeAndre Ayton and RJ Barrett on their team or some combination like that, maybe they're a team that looks like they're in that kind of a mix. But it, I think, you know, if you had to pick one of those teams, I, I don't feel great about the chances of any of them, but I would say Chicago, given where they are right now, I think has the best chance to 
uh, turn themselves into a, a title contender, at least in the Easter Conference, you know, in that three-year time frame. A couple of years ago, people criticized the Warriors for going for 73 wins instead of resting players. Do you think some criticism for the Rockets is warranted for going all out for best record in the West instead of trying to rest their stars more? No, I don't, because I think everybody knows that uh, even though Houston is probably at this point going to have the best record barring a collapse, nobody really expects them to beat the Warriors in the seven-game series, so they need to get every advantage they can get, and that includes having home court advantage in that series. So, no, I think it's different. I, I didn't understand the criticism of the Warriors at the time. I said the whole time, you have to go for the 73 wins. That's something no one's ever done before. You have to go for history. They did that. Um, you know, if Steph hadn't slipped on the Montespoti Eunice's sweat on the court in Houston, I think they'd win another title easily, and they just go down as the best team of all time. They did not do that. doesn't matter. Um, but I, I would not subscribe to the theory that the Rockets should get any criticism for going for first in the West when uh, I think it's pretty imperative to them for trying to do what they want to do in the playoffs. How far does Michael Porter drop in this year's draft? I, I don't know if Porter's really going to drop far at all. Um, I, I think when you look at uh, when you look at ESPN's top 100 right now, I'm pulling it up, uh, Porter, I believe, is 7th in Jonathan Gavoni's rankings right now. Actually, yeah, he's 7th. Um, I, I think that's probably his floor. It, it might depend on what teams pick where, but look, he's a 6'10 guy who can handle the ball. Um, you know, look, look at what Ben Simmons is doing in Philly, right? I mean, I think any of these teams uh, in the middle at the top of the draft are going to be looking for, you know, versatile players that can play multiple positions, handle the ball, you know, do a lot of things. If he's healthy, I think he could get up into the top three again. I mean, it, it, his workouts are really going to be fascinating to see how they play out because, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, health is, is really the biggest criticism of him at this point. So if he can prove he's healthy, um, you know, I, I think he's going to be somewhere in that, you know, maybe even one, but probably somewhere in that three to seven range. And I, I don't see him dropping any farther than that. What's your opinion on what's going on in San Antonio? Is it fabricated drama or is it a legitimate problem? It's hard to argue it's anything but a legitimate problem at this point. I mean, I, I wrote a month ago that I thought Kawhi Leonard had played his last game for the Spurs. And I, I'm still sticking with that. I I think the more and more you look at this situation, I don't know how the Spurs are going to turn around and offer this guy a Supermax contract this summer. And if they do offer him a Supermax contract, given the way Kawhi has felt about them this season, I, I'm not sure he would accept it. So to me, this looks like it's going down the same road that DeMarcus Cousins did in Sacramento and Jimmy Butler did in Chicago, where those teams decided to trade away their guy before they had to decide whether they are going to give him $200 million. And I mean, look, if Kawhi turns around and plays next week, wouldn't be surprising at this point. I, nothing can be surprising given the way this has played out. Uh, if he does sign the Supermax contract, I could certainly understand it and gets offered it and signs it. I mean, look, it's $200 million. He's one of the best players in the league when he's healthy. But you look at the way this whole situation has played out, the way that the Spurs have reacted to the various developments that have gone on, the amount of criticism Leonard has gotten from even people within the team, uh, and, and the, the heat he's gotten recently. It, this situation just does not feel like it's going to end with him just coming back and playing for the Spurs. Maybe it will, uh, but I, I think at this point, the odds of that seem pretty heavily stacked against it, given everything that's happened over the last few months. It, it, this truly is, I think, has even surpassed the Markel Fultz story as the strangest story in the NBA this year, and maybe in the last decade. I mean, it, to have a guy as good as Kawhi Leonard just disappear like this with really an undiagnosed, not even undiagnosed, but just a, a very mysterious situation injury-wise and not no one have, really having any idea what's going to happen. Um, it, it's one of the weirder stories I can remember, really in sports, but especially in the NBA. And 
Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because it's there's no question this is going to be one of the defining stories of the next few months because Kawhi's free agency is only a year away and whether he signs at Supermax this summer could dictate whether he gets traded and a lot of other stuff that happens. So we'll see what happens over the next few months. Do you think Luka Doncic will be a better pro than DeAndre Ayton? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, look, Ayton is a physical freak who has every has every chance of being an all-star center for a long time. Uh, Doncic, you know, has had some down periods recently. It looked like he got a little tired in the EuroLeague, but he's still a 17-year-old who led Slovenia to a EuroBasket championship and um, has put himself in a position where he is going to be, you know, one of the first two or three players taken in the draft and I think has a chance to be a star. So I don't know which one of those guys is going to be better, but... I feel pretty good about the fact that I would end up with either one of those, if I ended up with either one of those guys at the top of the draft. I, I It's hard for me to see Doncic failing, and it's also hard for me to see Aiton failing. I think those are two guys that, at minimum, are going to be long-time productive NBA players. Assuming Stan Van Gundy is out in Detroit, can a new coach come in with the current roster, or do they need to blow it up? Well, I wrote a whole column about this today for uh, the Washington Post. I don't, I, it was a defense of kind of the way the Pistons have operated under Stan Van Gundy. I don't really get a lot of the criticism they've gotten. Um, the bottom line is when they came in, ownership said, you are not able, you're, we're not going to tank. We've had one of the worst records in the league the last five years before you took over. We can't go through three or four years of being awful and then starting to build it back up. So the Pistons have won most of the trades they've been involved in. Yeah, they could have drafted Devin Booker or uh, Donovan Mitchell, but having your entire rebuilding plan hinge on having to hit a lottery pick in the back half of the lottery is an incredibly narrow path. And I, I think Detroit has done a pretty decent job turning its roster around. I think they would have made the playoffs this year if Reggie Jackson was healthy. I'm not the biggest Reggie Jackson fan, but the bottom line is they're 20 and 15 when he plays, and they're 12 and 25 when he in the, the 37 games he missed in between spraining his ankle and coming back on Tuesday. So, I mean, if they just even go 18 and 17 in that stretch, they're right in the mix for one of the last two playoff spots in the East, and they're not a team anybody wants to play. They've also blown some really dumb games recently. They lost to Orlando. They lost to Atlanta. Uh, they, I think they lost to the Knicks at one point. They've, they've lost a bunch of really bad games. They're going to be kicking themselves about that. Um, but look, I, I just think with the situation they're in now, I would run it back one more year. Uh, we'll see what this team does next year. If they make a run and make the playoffs, great. If they don't, at that point, you say, hey, we gave it a good run here. Let's start over. But I, I, I think that you know at this point, they deserve another year to see where things go. Because I think they've stuck to the plan they were told they had to take. And I think they've done a pretty decent job with it. Not the best job uh, because they don't have the you know Paul George type or, or the guy that is going to turn that franchise around. But they're also, you know I think, in a better position when, than when they started. And I think it puts them in a situation where they have a chance to make the playoffs next year and start to, to trend in a better direction if they're given a chance to see how it goes. Is it time for college basketball to switch to quarters and the 24-second shot clock? Men's college basketball, I should say. Yes, there are a lot of changes that should happen in men's college basketball. I might write about it uh, for Monday's paper for the, or for the newsletter on Monday. But yes, uh, the short answer is they definitely need to switch to quarters. They definitely need to go to the 24-second shot clock. There's also a few other changes they could make that would dramatically improve the quality of the sport because it's hard to watch. Uh, I get why people like the tournament. I get why people like their college team. I enjoy watching my college team, but the games are not good. Um, and the, I would like to get to a point where we can celebrate the players on the court instead of the game being dominated by the coaches on the sidelines, which is, I think, how the sport is set up right now. Does Jaleel Okafor still have potential in the NBA? Uh, I think it depends on what you determine potential to be. Um, do I think he's got a potential to be an all-star anymore? Uh, no. 
Um, I don't know if I ever thought that, but um, I mean, look, he he's just really been a disaster the last couple of years, and I, I don't know what's going to change it. I mean, it it is crazy to think that his rookie year. I mean, yeah, he, the the Spurs the the Sixers had some issues, but he still averaged seventeen and seven with a block a game and shot over fifty percent from the field. So it, it's not like he was a complete disaster. But then ever since then, things have gone off the rails. Uh, he's been a disaster with the Nets. Um, you know, my guess is he's on a minimum deal somewhere next year and he gets a chance to try to rehab his value, maybe go into the off season and, um, you know, go into, go into next season, feeling comfortable about where he's going to be and a place that wants him to play. But man, I mean, it's, it's just a rough situation to see where he's at right now. And it's hard, it's hard to see how a guy with his skill set is going to fit in the modern NBA. And, and unless, unless some things dramatically change with his defense, I, I just really wonder, uh, you know, what his future, what his long-term potential is in the league to be a, a real contributing rotation player. Do you think Kenny Atkinson should be the head coach of the Nets next year? Yes, this is a dumb conversation. I've seen it come up a little bit over the last week. Uh, the Nets don't have any talent. They've had a lot of injuries. Um, I, I think that Kenny Atkinson has done a great job developing the guys they have. Um, I, I don't really know what more people want from him uh, this year. Uh, they're still going to finish with you know, somewhere around the 10th, you know, the ninth or 10th best record or worst record in the league, um, you know, with less talent than a lot of these other teams. Um, so look, I, 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 like I said, I think the, the criticism of him is pretty nuts, I think. And I'd be quite happy if, if I had Kenny Atkinson coaching my team, uh, both this year and going forward. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. What are the chances a current tanking team sticks with it long enough to get two franchise players? Well, I mean, I think it just depends on, you know, how they do in the draft. I mean, look, Atlanta's got... Uh, you know, teams like Atlanta, teams like Dallas, well, maybe not Dallas, but look, I mean, Phoenix has been tanking for a while, right? I mean, if they end up with a guy this year to go with Devin Booker, you could argue that they maybe have two guys. Uh, if Memphis is bad this year, next year, maybe they draft two guys. Atlanta could be bad this year, next year, and draft two guys. You could say Chicago has one guy, Larry Markkinen. If they, they draft a guy this year, they might have two guys. So I think it just depends on what on what you say. But I mean, look, uh, all, the, all the tanking really is, is, you know, the Sam Hankey model, uh, in theory, uh, is pretty simple. It's let's be really bad and give ourselves the best chances we can to get franchise changing talent. Um, doesn't mean it works. I mean, look at teams like the Magic and the the Suns and the the Kings. I mean, they've been bad for a decade basically and are basically stuck in neutral. So there's no guarantee you're going to end up with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. You have to get lucky in the lottery. I mean, look what happens if Joel Embiid gets hurt again? Then the Sixers are kind of back to square one. So um, you know, I I think that. Uh, I think there's several teams that have the ability to do it. I think Atlanta's probably in the best position given they're clearly going that route and they just hired Travis Schlenk to be their general manager. So they've got a couple of years at least to kind of follow this path. But 
I mean, there's so much uh, randomness that goes into this, especially now with the lottery rule changes, that I, I think it's very hard to uh, say for certain that anyone's going to have success doing this path. Uh, what matchup do you think is most favorable for the Sixers in, in the playoffs? I, like I said before, I, I would want Indiana. I mean, I guess maybe Miami if they get into the top six. But to me, for those teams in the 3, 4, 5, 6, you want to avoid Cleveland and you want to play Indiana. I mean, I, I, think, that's, I think that's pretty easy. Thoughts on Robert Williams from Texas A&M who declared for the draft. Is he a first-rounder? I didn't see much from him other than athleticism. Do you think he has any other aspect of his game that will get him to keep him in the league? Yes, he's going to be a first-rounder. He's going to be probably be a top 10 pick. He'll definitely be a lottery pick. Uh, athleticism kind of important. And he is a big fella, Robert Williams, who has a ton of athleticism. And, you know, he's going to get a chance. To, he's going to be drafted high and he's going to get a chance to play in a league. And, um, you know, I, I do have some questions. I mean, it was kind of disconcerting to see that entire A&M team basically just quit yesterday. Um, it was a pretty rough performance against Michigan. But um, at the same time, I, I think, you know, it's it's just one tournament game. You can't really read much into that. And this is a guy that's been on the radar for a couple of years now, and he, he's going to be drafted high, and, and we'll see how it plays out. Who would be the Wizards' most ideal pat- matchup in the first round of the playoffs? Again, Indiana is the, is the easy choice there. Um, what criteria do you look at when deciding defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, et cetera? Uh, I mean, I think with rookie of the year, I think it's a combination of uh, you want to pick a guy that is having a great year and also one that you think long-term has a chance to develop into a really good player. Uh, I thought Victor Oladipo should have won over Michael Carter-Williams, for example. I thought both guys were similar that year. I thought Oladipo had way better long-term upside. That's proven to be true. Um, you know, I think this year, Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons, the two guys for that award, um, are, are both, to me, going to be multiple-time All-Stars and great players. So I, I don't really think that's an issue. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be really tough to make a choice there. Uh, I have to sit down and really look at it. I think right now I would lean towards Mitchell, um, but I have, I really want to study it more. Um, but I, I think the thing that people need to remember is just that, um, it, it the, both of these guys are great. And I, it, it's, to me, it's a six of one half dozen of the other, uh, can uh, choice, and you really can't go wrong either way. So I know people in both Utah and Philadelphia are going to hate me for saying that. And I know the trust the process people are ready to, you know, burn down everything if, if, you know, Mitchell doesn't win or if Ben Simmons doesn't win rookie of the year this year. But I mean, I think, you know, it's honestly to me uh, a really brutal call either way. And I, I think whoever wins that award, it's going to look pretty good in the future because they're both going to be, you know, longtime great, great players. As for defensive player of the year, I mean, it's, to me, it's pretty simple. It's, you know, who, who is the biggest defensive impact in the league? And to me, like I think I said it earlier, Rudy Gobert should win the award this year. It's just going to come down to whether or not he is able to play enough games to qualify for it in my mind. I, I think he's on pace to play 55 or 56 games. I think if he plays that many games and the Jazz are this good on defense, um, I, I think that he's going to win uh, the award. He's been that good and they've they've their defense has been that good with him. Uh, but look, again, it's, you know, it's Ben Simmons and uh, Donovan Mitchell and it's Joel Embiid and, and uh, Rudy Gobert and that's about it. So it's going to be a really interesting race to see who wins those awards. And, um, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But I, I think between those four guys, it's hard to go wrong, uh, no matter what way you slice it. What matchups pose the biggest threat to the Rockets and Warriors not meeting in the Western Conference Finals? I don't know if there is one necessarily that, that particularly poses a threat. I mean, I think, you know, Houston playing Oklahoma City in the second round would be interesting. Um, the, 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 the Thunder have matched up pretty well with them. That was pre-Andre Robertson injury. Losing him hurts a lot. 
but I, I think that could be an interesting matchup in a playoff series where you can have, uh, you know, Paul George and Russell Westbrook playing 45 minutes a game. I mean, that, that could be, that could be interesting. Uh, Utah could be interesting with the way they play. I could see them giving the Rockets some trouble. I mean, I think Golden State's going to be fine. They're, they're, their biggest matchup issue is just going to be, are they healthy? I mean, if they're healthy, I think they're going to win the title without a lot of trouble. If they're not healthy, it's going to be wide open. So, um, you know, but I, I do think that, that Oklahoma City and, and Utah both could potentially cause some trouble. And look, I mean, what if San Antonio's an eight seed and Kawhi Leonard comes back a week before the playoffs start? Like, then all of a sudden, that's a t- not a team, despite their other flaws, that you want to play. So, um, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I think as of now, it looks pretty good that we're going to get that matchup that everybody wants to see in the Western Conference Finals. What's the ceiling for the Utah Jazz this season? I think probably getting in the second round of the playoffs. I mean, if they can, they can finish in the, the, the three, four, five, six somewhere and they get, you know, one of those other teams in the three to eight mix in that first round, I think they could win a series and then probably lose in the second round, uh, either Houston or, or Golden State. But I mean, look, given where that team was last summer, when, uh, when Gordon Hayward left in free agency, I think making the playoffs and potentially winning a series, uh, which is where they were last year, would be a pretty remarkable turnaround and be a huge credit to Quinn Snyder and um, and everybody involved with that organization. Uh, it really, and you know, Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck and everybody in the front office. I mean, it would be just a hell of a turnaround. So um, it would be fun to see. And, uh, you know, I, I think at this point they look really good to make the playoffs and, and we'll see what happens after that. What do you think about Heralibus Fulgaris's idea to fix tanking by getting rid of max contracts, instituting a hard cap, and making all incoming rookies free agents? Heralibus is a really smart guy. I think that's an interesting plan. Uh, I don't think the NBA is ever going to get rid of the draft. I have other friends, Kevin Arnovitz, among others, who have advocated for getting rid of the draft. It's such a big moneymaker that I do not see the NBA going that route. Um, however, I think it would be a really fascinating move if they did. Um, it would allow for a lot more flexibility in terms of building out your roster. Um, you know, but I, I don't, I don't see that kind of dramatic overhaul of the whole system ever happening. I don't think the players would ever want a hard cat. Uh, I think generally the system is pretty good as it is. And I think the draft is such a popular thing that no one's ever going to get rid of it. All right, we got through all the questions. Thank you to everybody for submitting them. I appreciate it. Uh, you can find my work uh, on the, in the pages of the Washington Post on our website at washingtonpost.com sports, on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, or on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. Please go find the podcast wherever you subscribe to them, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Radio Public, etc. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. really helps a lot. Thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Go find their music wherever you can get it uh, and check it out. Glenn's a huge NBA fan. He's my NBA editor at the Post. Good dude. Uh, and their band is really good. So go check them out. Go check out our other podcasts at WashingtonPost.com slash podcast. we got a ton of them. Uh, they're all really good. I listen to a bunch of them. Uh, be sure to go check them out and see what you find there. I think you'll think pretty much no matter what your interest is, you're going to find something that you're going to like. Thank you again to everybody for listening and for submitting questions this week. Really helped a lot. Um, going to be back next week. Got a couple podcasts lined up. Uh, looking forward to kind of getting into a regular routine here. Now that we're coming down the home stretch, uh, getting ready for the playoffs should be a really fun, exciting, you know, a fun and exciting final couple of weeks of the regular season. We see how these playoff pictures in both conferences shake out and, uh, it'll be really, really fun to get to the playoffs, which start, uh, three weeks from tomorrow. Uh, we're almost there. It should be, should be a really great playoff stretch. A lot of fun storylines to watch should be great. So, Uh, As always, thank you to everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon.